Good morning. It's good to see you all. We find ourselves in the midst of another election year with all those cute little campaign slogans that politicians come up with to try to get us to vote for them. I remember back in 2008, Obama's um, campaign slogan was, I'm for change. And the only reason I remember this is that a friend of mine used it in a very clever way. Her husband would come in from wherever he had been and just drop little piles of change all over the house. Do <laughs> you know this? Okay. Um, and it drove her crazy. I mean, in the silverware drawer, on the desk, I mean, just random places. And so she began to, it began to be a very big conflict in their marriage. And so she asked the Lord for a creative way to deal with this issue that her husband had. <laughs> and so she thought that she would get a large coffee, plastic coffee container. You know how they come in those big jugs now? And on one side, she put a picture of Obama. And on the other side, she put a picture of her husband. She cut a slit in the top and wrote, I'm for change. <laughs> and she gave it to him for Christmas. And he thought it was so hilarious that he started putting his change in there. And now, every year at Thanksgiving, they take the bucket to Kroger, put it through the coin sorter, and they have enough money in their bucket to provide a large Thanksgiving meal. And they invite internationals, they invite lost people, they invite people who have nowhere else to go for Thanksgiving into their home, as well as their family and some friends. And so the Lord changed that point of conflict into a point of fruitfulness for them. This week we have studied El Shaddai, God Almighty and God All-Sufficient. As I studied the lesson, a theme emerged that I hadn't noticed before. That our God, Almighty and All-Sufficient, says to us, I'm for change in your life. Every time we see him appear as El Shaddai, we see him working change. We see change is in the air when he appears in Scripture as El Shaddai. We see it with Abraham. He gets a name change. So does uh, Jacob. Naomi, when she refers to him as Shaddai, changes her own name. There's change happening. In the book of Job, Job doesn't really get a name change, but he changes his outlook and his, his view of God. And because God is almighty and all-sufficient, he has all the power and all the resources necessary to bring about change in our lives. On day five, we looked at several verses from Revelation. I hope you got that far in your, in your homework. Um, where it says, O oh Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty and so we see that the El Shaddai of the Old Testament is linked to 
Jesus Christ of the New Testament, all-powerful and all-sufficient in the past and in the present and in the future, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And that's good news for us because every one of us has guilt from the past that we struggle with. Maybe it's the long ago past or maybe it was something that happened this morning. But we have struggles with our guilt. All of us have inadequacies. We do not know what to do in situations in our present circumstances or in our present walk with the Lord. All of us has fears. If we think soberly for five seconds, we are afraid of the future and what may happen around the corner. But our life doesn't have to be defined by these problems because our God is El Shaddai and he has all the power and all the resources necessary to bring change into our lives, to change us from the points of conflict that we have into a place of fruitfulness. This morning we're going to focus in and see how this works out in Abraham's life. Abram has a problem with his past. That problem is guilt. It's our problem too. He is an idolater of the first class when he has his initial encounter with God. You know he is he lives in Ur of the Chaldees. He has a past that all of us would cringe to admit to. When you think Ur of the Chaldees, think Babylon, everything that is opposed to God. Think sexual immorality. Think wealth and, and sophistication and commerce. Think astrology and especially think moon worship. Ur was a center in the ancient Near East of the moon god cult. Men would be required to burn their firstborn alive or bury them alive to gain the favor of the moon god. And we know from Acts that Abram was an idolater from Ur of the Chaldees. Nothing in his past would recommend him to God. He was a guilty and undeserving idolater. Guilty before God. And that guilt was a problem. A problem he could do nothing about. But El Shaddai is a solution to Abram's guilt problem. Notice I didn't say he has the solution to Abram's guilt. He is the solution to Abram's guilt. God's eternal plan has been set in motion. One will come from the seed of Abraham, one whose blood will be shed to cleanse our conscience from guilt. Because he is powerful enough to overcome sin. And he is sufficient, has sufficient resources to purchase our redemption. Abram's past guilt doesn't hinder God from coming to him in the place where he is in Ur of the Chaldees 
and calling him and giving him faith to follow. Abram doesn't know him as El Shaddai yet. As a matter of fact, he knows very little at all about God at this point. He has absolutely no reason to leave the security, the emotional ties, the reputation that he had there in Ur and follow a God he knows hardly anything about to a place he doesn't know. But God is sufficient and powerful enough to bring about that change in him. God is unstoppable. He is able to bring Abram to a place where a place that God has carved out for him where he's going to be fruitful, a place where God will be able to transform him into the person that he created him to be, a place where he can reveal himself to him as El Shaddai. It's going to be a long 25-year process, at least, But God has a plan for Abram that's beyond his wildest imagination. It begins with a change of location. Not so much a physical change of location, because when he gets to Canaan, there's idolaters there too. But a spiritual change of location. From the place of guilty idolatry to the place of following I too was an idolater of the first class when I first encountered the Lord. Like the people in Ur, my family put a great deal of value on money. My father made a lot of it, and he loved to lavish his two girls with everything that money could buy and the best of it. And I loved it. My identity was wrapped up and what I had, and in the name recognition. Lots of people knew my dad, and I would say who I was, and they'd say, oh, is your father so, you know, so it was wrapped up in this uh, idolatry. Then I got married, and money became important in a different way. (laughs) We didn't have two pennies to rub together (laughs) at that point. And my lifestyle at that time was in complete conflict with the ways of God. I was living in Ur of the Chaldees. But my past and the guilt that I had before God did not hinder him from putting his hand on me, calling me out, bringing me to a place that he had carved out specially for me to make me fruitful and to give me, to transform me into the person that he had created me to be, to begin that process in my life. I didn't know him as El Shaddai at that time, but I knew I had to get out of Ur (laughs) and follow him to a place that I had no idea where it would lead. It was a change of location for me, spiritually, from guilty to um, spiritual awakened. Awakeness, is that a word? 
So I'd ask you, where are you? What is your location? Are you living in Ur of the Chaldees, where everything in your life is in conflict with God? Or maybe there's just one thing that you can't seem to let go of. Maybe the guilt of your past is immobilizing you. Maybe you feel like there's something in your past that's too great for God to free you from. But remember, he is El Shaddai, God Almighty and God All-Sufficient to bring change, to overrule the guilt of your past and bring you into a fruitful place. Abram struggles with another problem. It's the problem of helplessness. He's totally inadequate to deal with his present circumstances. Helplessness is our problem too. By Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 17, 24 years have passed since God's initial promise to bless Abram. He's 99 years old and his wife is 98. Past childbearing years and she is barren. Totally inadequate for having a baby. It looks as though God's promise of a seed is going by the wayside. His present looks pretty bleak. Humanly speaking, he's helpless and he can't do a thing to change things. But El Shaddai is the solution to Abram's problem, to Abram's helplessness. The eternal plan has been set in motion. One from the seed of Abraham will come to die for us while we are yet helpless. One whose power will be enough for us, one whose power will be perfected in our weakness. By Genesis 17, God is ready to show Abram that he is El Shaddai. And when he does, he changes Abram's name from honored father to Abraham, father of many nations, because he's about to do the impossible thing. And he wants to remind Abraham of the promise. Every time anybody says his name, he'll be reminded that God has made this promise to him. He's able to make Abraham into something he is not. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. You'll be the father of a multitude of nations and kings will come forth from you. Romans 4 gives us a little insight into Abram's state of mind at this point, or Abraham's state of mind at this point. We won't turn there, but you can read it later, Romans 4, 17 through 21. There we see that Abraham is focusing on who God is. He believes in the God who can raise the dead and call into being that which does not exist. All the while, he is into reality. He's not denying the fact that his body is as good as dead and that Sarah's womb is dead. But he knows that God transcends all natural boundaries and that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty and God All-Sufficient. He is able to create something out of nothing. There's a math that we need to understand in these verses. 
Back in Ur, you had one dead man and one dead, spiritually dead and physically dead woman. One plus one equals zero. Nothing. Helpless. Inadequate. But you add into that equation one man who has been spiritually quickened, one woman who has been spiritually quickened but is still physically dead, and you, have, and you add into that equation the infinite God, and you end up with a number you can't count. Stars of the sky, sand of the shore, seashore, dust of the earth. A number you can't count. It began with a change of location from idolater to follower. Now we have a name change from inadequate to fruitful. All my life I've had a bad habit. Well, actually it's a sin. (laughs) It not only puts people off, but it hinders the full work of repentance in my heart. My name is Self-Justifier. I don't mind admitting most of the time. I don't mind admitting when I did something wrong. I don't even hardly much mind calling it sin. But I have a very, very, very hard time not explaining to you why I did it. (laughs) I want you to understand how I got there and why I got there and who made me get there or not. And my husband has told me for years that I do this. And I know I do it, but I don't see what's wrong with it. (laughs) But the problem is, you know, when somebody else sins, I want them to get justice, but when I sin, I want a little mercy, a little sympathy, a little kindness, a little, you know. And so I realized I actually do mind admitting that I sinned because I want to be sure you understand why I did it. A few weeks ago, Cole had a sermon on David and Bathsheba. And he made a statement. He said, a lot of ink has been spilled with people trying to explain why David did what he did. You know, he shouldn't have, he should have been off at the war. He shouldn't have been up on the roof. She shouldn't have bathed outside. I mean, you know, millions of excuses and reasons that people have tried to come up with to explain why David did what he did. And Cole said, you know, it doesn't matter why David did it. What matters is that David did it. And he said, when we offer excuses and try to find explanations for our sin, it's because we are sympathetic toward ourselves in our sin. I go, uh. <laughs> that is what Chuck has been trying to tell me all these years, you know? And it, it really, it nailed me to the wall. I thanked him for it later. But at the time, I was just like immobilized by this thought. Because you know why? I know I can't do a thing about it. I've been doing it for 63 years. I can't quit it on my own. I'm inadequate to deal with my present state before God and the sin that's still in my life. And so I know that unless El Shaddai shows up, one who has all power to overcome this in me, one who is sufficient for my mess that I am, 
one who is able to change my name from self-justifier to truly repentant. And only then will the full work of repentance, the fruit that comes from repentance, um, happen in my life. A name change. What impossible circumstances are you facing? And maybe you have a sin in your life you can't overcome. Maybe your name is self-justifier too, or maybe it's liar, or it might be prideful, or maybe it's um, complainer, or might be uh, manipulator, stingy, fearful. I mean, the list goes on. You know, just fill in the blank with whatever is your worst self. And then realize that even though you keep falling in that same hole over and over again, why do we do that? Why do we just do the same wrong thing over and over and keep thinking we're going to get a different result? It doesn't happen. But God is able to overflow into that circumstance or that character flaw or that sin that you have and bring about change and make you fruitful in that place because he has all the power and all the resources necessary to do it. He's El Shaddai. So we've seen El Shaddai as all-powerful and all-sufficient in overruling our past guilt and in overflowing into our present inadequacies. But Abram has a third problem. It's called fear. That's one we all struggle with, too. Abram guards and protects and manipulates and encircles himself against all the bad things God's going to do to him in the future. We see this all through his life, over and over again. He's hedging against the future. Famine comes, and he runs down to Egypt because he thinks he's going to starve to death. On the way there, he remembers how beautiful his wife is. And Pharaoh's going to steal her away. I guess you forget she's 74. Who needs a 74-year-old barren woman? But anyway, he thinks that she is gorgeous. And I, I, she probably was. I don't know. Um, but he's afraid that Pharaoh's going to steal her, so he, starts, so he lies about it. But his most serious fear, more serious than these, as bad as they are, is that he knows that the covenant that God has made with him is totally worthless without a seed. And he knows there's no way that there's going to be a baby, humanly speaking. He's afraid that all that God has promised him is going to come to nothing, and that's his biggest fear, and that he's not going to have an heir to inherit the promises, to inherit the land, to fulfill, and God's going to come up short. And so he hedges against God's seeming failure to come through on time because he is afraid. He has a problem. But El Shaddai is the solution to Abraham's, Abraham's problem of fear. The eternal plan has been set in motion one from the seed of Abraham will come to ensure the future by his death and resurrection. By Genesis 21, 
God is ready to bring to pass what he had promised. He's going to prove to Abraham that he is enough for the future, that he's not going to leave him in the lurch, that he's going to show up to bless, that nothing is too hard for him, that nothing catches him with a short supply. We read in Genesis 21, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. He is El Shaddai, almighty and all-sufficient. At the appointed time, he shows up to ensure the future for Abraham. Sarah conceives when there's no way, humanly speaking, for her to do it. And we see the change of outlook that takes place in Abraham's life when he gets to Mount Moriah. He's no longer afraid of the future. He knows that God can raise the dead. God can bring to pass that which does not exist. Many generations later, another son is going to appear at the appointed time of which God had spoken. When things looked bleakest and God had been silent for 400 years and the Romans are ruling the world, a very unlikely time for the Messiah to show up. And it's going to be to a woman who also, humanly speaking, cannot have a baby. Who ever heard of a virgin having a baby? When the fullness of time came, at the appointed time, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law. And Isaiah has told us that this child will be called Mighty God. You see the connection? We're bringing El Shaddai forward into the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who would ensure the future for all who would believe on him and bring redemption to all of us who are under the law. And under the law, we have reason to fear the future, don't we? But God's grace comes in the person of El Shaddai to change our insecurity and our fear of the future into faith. I've struggled with fear for most of my life. As a matter of fact, I'm a professional at it. (laughs) I can find something to be afraid of when nobody else can. About three years ago, I came home from the grocery one Friday at lunchtime. I walked in the back door and my husband was sitting at the kitchen table. And so I say, what are you doing here? You know, what else would I say? He's not supposed to be there. He said, well, I live here. (laughs) I said, you know, I seem to remember that. But why are you here now? He says, well, I don't have anywhere else to go. I said, what are you talking about? You know, I'm a little slow to get this, okay? Y'all all know why he was there, but I'm slow. So I said, why are you, what are you talking about? And he says, well, I don't have a job anymore. And so I'm really having a hard time taking this in. We've already done this about 12 or 13 years prior. And I think, again, we got to do this again. But I remember that time in the past where God absolutely, miraculously met every need we had 
And when he got a job, he had more, we had more money in the bank than when we started. Now, you figure that out. That's God Almighty, God All-Sufficient to meet every need. So why am I standing here panicked? Why do I want to throw up? I can tell you why. Because back then, the economy wasn't like it was now. And back then, um, there, the job market wasn't flooded. And back then, he wasn't 60 for Pete's sake. <laughs> Who's going to hire a 60-year-old? I couldn't get it out of my mind. It, I, it just wouldn't dislodge, you know? It was just stuck there. Who is going to hire a 60-year-old? I mean, I wish he was just at least 59. It doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what I thought. Don't I remember that Moses was 80 when he got his first job? <laughs> Maybe not his first job, but the, the job that God had, the main jo job that God had for him, he was 80. Don't I remember Abraham and Sarah having a baby at age 100? So I have to fight that fear all year long. And I find myself saying out loud over and over again, okay, God is sufficient for this. God is enough. God is able. Even for 60, he can handle it. And so just, and through that year, I saw God move me from fear to faith. And then at the appointed time, in our old age, God showed up. To bless and to fulfill his promise to us. What unfulfilled promise or unknown outcome are you facing in your life? What life circumstances leaving you feeling insecure? Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a marriage problem, maybe it's a child, maybe it's any number of things that you know where, what your little square that you live in contains. Remember, El Shaddai is all-powerful and all-sufficient for the future. He's able to change your insecurity and fear into faith. Learning to trust El Shaddai will change you. You don't have to be defined by the guilt of your past, the inadequacies of your present, or the fears of the future. Because he is the almighty one, the all-sufficient one, powerful enough and with all the necessary resources to change you by overruling your past, overflowing into your present, and overseeing your future. And so, as we have said every week, run to him, trust him, worship him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can trust you for every contingency, for every impossibility, for every insecurity, for every inadequacy of life. And you are more than enough. We ask that you would help us to entrust ourselves to you and to abide in the shadow of the Almighty.
We thank you in Jesus' name. We're going to listen to a song now. And as we listen to the song, listen for how God deals with our guilt, our fear, and our weakness. He is God Almighty.
thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love how God tied it all together like that. You know, just like yeah. big overview, pulling it together. And I love your illustrations. They were wonderful. Thank I know you. They were, you know. <laughs>